Hey everybody, AJ here. Just wanted to get out in front of this episode and let you know that there is some pretty heavy talk of sexual assault and violence against women and girls about a half hour into the show. Uh, If you'd like to skip that part of the show, we totally understand and there are time codes in the show notes uh, for when that part of the conversation begins and ends. So with that being said, here's the show. Welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. Uh, Our producer, AJ Falari, is on the show. How are the levels looking? The levels are great. And uh, he's Parallel Flakes, the one, the only Joshua Baker. What the fuck does that mean? Parallel Flakes. Parallel, We're calling you you're flaky. flaky, you know? You're, you're flaky for the rest of the episode. That's your name now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Josh, you gotta act excited. Somebody paid to name you this. I don't know what it means. Um, Parallel, Parallel flakes? flakes? Let me I read don't it. know either. At the, at, at the beginning Are they the maggots of, uh, that fell in the water? No, at the beginning of chapter... The last chapter. Oh, I just they're read talking about They're talking about Karsa making the oh, sword. Oh, very good. Loved that scene. Oh, now yeah. I appreciate it. Parallel, Parallel flakes, flakes, long and thin. Five, translucent yeah, yeah, slivers yeah. punched them in the face. Sick. <laughs> long and thin, baby. Long and thin. And that name comes in from our wonderful Patreon supporter, Jonathan Smith. However, I am reticent to call Josh flaky because I'll, I'll, I'll trash talk Josh any day of the week, but he's not that much of a flake. You know, the kid keeps a committed schedule. <laughs> I you fucking know? try. Funny you say that because when I think flaky, I felt like, you know, dry skin, mm. which I was also mm. going to say. Josh I thought about that too, but moist. I also keep, I, I have a dedicated skincare regimen and that's uh, you look not supple, a joke. Josh. Thank you. you look supple. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, your your skin, I can see your pores, they look wet. No, you don't want to see pores. Don't want to see pores. That is the opposite of good skin. I don't don't see pores and your skin's dry. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So he is flaky. Anyway, um I realized we at one point I was in the habit of announcing what we were talking about on each episode, and then I got out of the habit, and I haven't been in the habit for like all of memories of ice maybe i don't know <laughs> but sure it's i mean it's a good in, habit so in maybe case you, start you it. in case you randomly downloaded this episode we're discussing all of book three of house of chains chapters 12 through 17 um do you guys remember the name of this chap this book i forget it i do I remember it. What is it, AJ? Thanks for making me ask. <laughs> I thought we were all going around and, and saying that we remembered. Uh, it's called I something, know it. something Breathes. Just looked it up. Something Breathes. I don't know why the fuck that's what it's called, but I'm sure it said those words somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't. That, I, I, I saw it last night after I finished reading at 1 a.m. I was trying to think about what it was in reference to, and I just don't know. Yeah, maybe. I feel like everyone's all, all of our all the character threads are all far flung and they're breathing. Nope. Yeah, I don't. That wasn't I, I don't know, man. I was waiting for the very end of the the, the oh, section oh. to be like, and then something breathed. All right, like, let me take a second shot. But, maybe it's like the history of the land is breathing. Mm. Nope. <laughs> India didn't say anything. I'm gonna assume she agrees with me. So. Yeah. I agree with Peter. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rough president we're setting that if India doesn't respond, then she agrees with Peter. <laughs> you could always just assume I agree with Peter. Yeah. All right. We got a lot of chapter and chapters in front of us. Let's get into it. 
Chapter 12 Cutter and Darius prepare for the looming battle with the Eater. Darius' sword is powerful, once named Vengeance, but now Grief. They then speak of Grief and battle first with a group of Eater. Eventually, the battle ends with young Andy and Absalar intervening. Darist had the young Andy hide in fear of what the Eater would do to them. Confirming Cutter's suspicion, Darist says his brother Animander Rake should defend the throne himself, and that the young Andy here are Animander Rake's various grandchildren. They speak more of judgment and protection. Absalar is worried. Both Darist and Cutter are wounded and not in fighting shape. Absalar suggests Cutter go into the woods, and he finds Malazans, shipwrecked and now taking refuge in a cave. A Dalhanese man named Traveler speaks to them about the Throne of Shadow. They return then and find the Eater assault underway. Darist is wounded, the young Andy scattered, Absalar unconscious. Cutter calls on the Hound Blind, who answers, and Cotillion arrives as well. They slaughter the Eater, and Cotillion urges Cutter to help the Malazans. Cutter checks on Absalar, and Traveler arrives and is the only surviving Malazan. Traveler takes up the sword named Vengeance, and says he will guard the now vacant throne for a while. Absalar stirs. She and Cutter offers to help bury the dead, and they go to find a ship off the island. Kalam inspects the well kindly went into. Something man-like lies within, and it pulls Kalam into the river. The assassin stabs him, and the creature throws him out. Kalam then speaks with Ebrin about the cult of the Nameless Ones that used to reside there. The cult chained demons to this world. The demon will hunt him and two other officers once it is free. Kalam says he is going to get far away and head towards Waraku to find Tavor. His journey is cut short when an Enkarl, possessed by a demon that was in truth possessing the Toblakai that attacked him. The demon wounds and taunts Kalam, but the assassin kills the beast and the Enkarl's souls find peace. The wounded Kalam then is found by the High Priest of Shadow, Iskarl Pust, and the soul taken, Magora. Onrak, his vow broken, sees Talani Mass in their true withered form. Onrak reflects on the Talani Mass in their vow. The kin they are with, led by Monarch Ochum, will dismantle him once they return to their home realm. He says the renegades he hunt have also broken their vow to serve a new master. They speak then of the Tistliosian, and how the Senshal Jorad worships before Kral Thurlan, and a power that has been usurped. Their god Osric has been lost. The Leosian are dedicated to proving him wrong, and summon the Godfire. The Leosian and Troll use their blood, and they tear open a gate to travel into. Troll and Onrak pass through, with Monarch following in his soul-taken form as a giant ape. A few Tist Andy travel into Kral Thurlan. Safely out of the nascent, Onrak says they'll be pursued and must go. Pearl and Lestariel traverse the Imperial Warren, speaking of its nature. They stumble onto a massive crucified dragon, aspected with Otatural. It is alive, and they examine it and speak of balance. They follow the path of those who crucified the dragon, and reach a gate of gold fire. They travel into a pyramid with names marked in it, escape fire, and speak to a Talani mass. 
Then they let the Talani mass rest and continue their hunt. The situation on Drift of Ali around the throne uh, really comes to a head in this chapter. The Eater assault, we meet Traveler, there's a battle, Darius dies. What did you make of this whole sequence that uh, kind of starts off this whole book and and kind of uh, ushers Cutter and Absalar into the next part of their journey? Well, uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, Darius is the, uh, the epitome of you just wouldn't understand. You just, you just don't uh, understand. You just don't get me. Uh, and it was very, I, every, th- every time he talked, I was like, I, I love this because of how much I hate you. Uh, and it was very good. I, I don't know about it, AJ in India, but also like, as soon as he was like, my brother, and then the word later, sword, I was like, oh, you're animated yeah. breaks, brother. Okay, cool. Okay. India's shaking your head. Um, it's a no from me, dog. <laughs> Complete surprise. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. I like that he's he's got this sword. It was named Vengeance, but now Grief. I just, <laughs> everything about it was so edgy and I loved it. Extremely um, edgelord. Oh, yeah. He's pretty cool, though. Like, he just, like, stands there and then the sword is just moving basically of its own will. He's just, like, you know, whirlwinding it and he's just murdering people. It's wild. I don't know. It, it, was, it was very, uh, I mean, I don't know if fun's not the right word because like a bunch of them die and it's not a great <laughs> scene. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty effective um, in a lot of ways. I didn't expect Darius to have, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, ca- I can't tell if he's dumb. No, yeah, I can't. He's dumb. Uh, I, th- I think. Uh, and he's just like got all these grandchildren. And it's like, dude, we know that the, we know that the Tisty Andy like can fight. What if you at any point had taught these guys to fight? You could have easily had not all of them die. I don't know. It just seemed dumb. And then he's also like, there's no way Absalom could have gotten on the island. And then she's like, nope, climb right up. It was uh, pretty easy. Um, I don't know. And let the record show they didn't all die. But um, what? It, I, yeah, I couldn't remember. India, what did you make of this scene? And with uh, Cutter, uh, at first, Absalom saves them uh, along with the Andy. And then eventually he comes back. He summons uh, Blind, and then Cotillion shows up, and, uh, you know, it's a big save the day type thing. Uh, how would you make of this whole scene here on Drift of Ali? How useless was Blind in that moment? Yes. Yeah. I was so surprised. That was just not what I expected. And then Cotillion comes, and he's, like, pissed at Blind, like, you did nothing, so I'll just come here and handle it with my little rope, kill everyone. I do love at the end when Cotillion's like, also, I killed everyone on the ships. Goodbye. See you. Yeah. <laughs> Cotillion was in... I, I, I mean, this is the first time we've seen, like, a full Ascendant fight. Yes? Mm. I mean, I think, like, Animator and, Rake and... Yeah. Yeah, they're like, but like, they're not ascended in in my opinion. Like, they do not feel the same as Shadow Throne. It's and different. Cotillion, I know what you like, mean. Yeah, they have their own little pocket Warren and shit. Like, I would thought it was sick. I don't really understand how he uses a rope to kill people, though. Is it like Me a either. magic that rope? Was crazy. Hmm. I mean, in, he. I'm just he's just like super powerful so like it could be anything okay well here's my question then AJ he had to get the name the rope when he was immortal right and then I imagine he probably garroted people or something you know I I guess but I just like the idea of him being so good at rope that he kill you know that's a great (laughs) it's a great image he's actually teaching everyone to tie knots that's what he's doing oh that makes sense he's actually super good at jump rope Mm. uh, and so everyone just called him rope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's short. Uh, India, 
Let me, let me, let me, I know you got a good guess, you, you know, or, or like a sniff. What's going on with mm-hmm. this traveler character, you know? Oh my God. How annoying is that character? <laughs> what do you mean, buddy? I've been buddy? trying. <laughs> I'm fully with India. Bringing up traveler. And then, the, and then I don't know what chapter it is. Maybe it's the same one where they're like, he used to be with those God people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shadow Throne and Cotillion are talking later on, and they talk about Traveler. That's yeah, like in the so, last and chapter. and they're like, yeah, let's get away from that guy. I don't, so I have a feeling that they kind of fucked him over in some way. I don't know who he was. I don't know what he did. I don't know why his name is Traveler. I, I'm going to be pissed off if I know who he is, and I don't know well, who we, he is. The, the problem is, India, is that the t- like our knowledge of the before times, like exactly. the founding of the Empire, is basically last book like uh, within House of Chains, there was a moment where we got an amount of exposition, but like there were so many names and any of those names could have fucking been Traveler. Yeah. And I don't to know. be honest, I low key want to go back and read about it, read it again and be like, okay, which one of these guys does he describe that looks like Traveler? Yeah. But then, even then, what does that mean to me? Okay, great. I have a name now, you know? So... I'm with you, because, that because like, that doesn't explain how he goes from, you know, whatever he was as a mortal to this dude. And why who didn't he ascend? A... But why is he still super strong? I don't know. Is he ascending? These know. are the questions. Dude was These so These are the strong. questions that I have. Yeah. Well, India, let me take us from Drift of Ali to Kalam's okay. journey on Seven Cities, where he, uh... <laughs> encounters this demon tries to escape this demon ends up with a scarl pust at the end of this whole adventure um kind of some yeah. more kalam swashbuckling adventure time oh uh, what, what did you make all this in his time with the demons in the desert okay i've decided for this book kalam's parts are my least favorite is that for you guys too I, or is it i'm just fully me? in your tank and really am not gelling with any of that it's so boring I know it'll. There's a point eventually, but I I can't jazz with it. It's in, that whole like demon thing where the demon was going to eat him, and then he like killed the demon. Like shocker, who saw that coming? Yeah. Um, well, the problem is that uh, I don't. I, I don't know. It's just it seems. And then the, and then if his scenes weren't bad enough, now is Carl Puss is back. And <laughs> your favorite whoa, character. Whoa! Whoa! Watch your mouth. Kind of funny. Kind of. I'm just like, I can't handle this anymore. Mm. I, want, I, want to, I want to hop in. Please. I hated Iskarl Pust, all of Dead House Gates, and I love him because there's not enough funny in this book, and I just needed yeah. that little injection of, of him doing him. I've always loved Iskarl Pust, and that is well I know, documented. I know. I want to say that speaks oh. so much. He just talks so much. And now you get to meet. And Magora's really in this too, and oh she's God, just yes. as great. And I, I yeah. wish I could turn into a just a bunch of spiders at will for comedic effect. Real, real quick, I want to say, India, my my issue with and Peter, my issue with the Kalam stuff is that Erickson is a good writer, which means that like it would be wild if this character who is on his own who has his own storyline, was just killed outright. You know what I mean? Like, like before getting to any, like, you know? Which means that that whole fight with the demon, I was like, well, he can't die. Hmm. Like, that would not be good. That would just leave this whole thread just gone. So, I don't know, that kind of robbed some of the, like, the the danger for me. I don't know, Josh, but that wouldn't be the first time in this book where somebody died and then came back as a more important 
roll or something. Uh, however, I believe because uh, I made a prediction last week about that 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 song thing, and I now feel like I'm very right on it. So that that was in my mind too, and I was like, I think he has to be human when so, he gets there. So I think for me, and maybe we can touch on it later on when we talk about Cars's two chapters. You know, I do I do think there's this thing where. In this book, I am somewhat lost. This book three, I mean. Um, I do feel like the story it almost spreads too thin and we're too disparate in a lot of ways. And at least with Carsa's story, where objectively he has just gone off on his own side quest zone, you know? Love it. At least I, I think there's a lot of stuff there and it's really furthering his arc that started at the beginning of the book and is like it's really developing that further and we learn a lot of other stuff so mm -hmm. although it is somewhat in this other realm i'm at least following it more and i think there's a lot there more there for me where this clam stuff you know there's just less there i would say in this whole section this whole five however many chapters we just read the carsis stuff is the only stuff that didn't just have me like spinning in existential like whoa like half the time. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. But it it is getting to the part now where everybody is like making their journey toward the same place. Yeah. And it's that classic Malazan move. Yeah. And so like now I feel like in the next book probably is gonna be like the setup for the big shit to go down. So I'm looking forward to that. You can definitely tell everyone keeps being like, I don't know, where should I go on Seven Cities? Is there one specific place I should head? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Raruku. Maybe I should head that go. <laughs> We gotta go. We're all going. Yeah. For all different reasons. Yeah. Oh, real quick. I, don't, I, don't, I do want to just get this out there. So so we, we do learn that uh, Smiley and whoever the other person is are alive, right? Like yeah, they yeah, got, they're alive. At least... At least they're not as dead as we assumed. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That I imagine they'll have to pop back up somewhere. Yeah, and that, like all that deep. I mean, it's not. It wasn't bad. It's just it's just kind of mm -hmm. loses me. Do you know what I mean? So AJ, uh, to cut over to you, we have the we have our a big section with Onrak uh, and Troll, and they're within the nascent. And this is really about well, this is when they're trying to get out, and we know all about the the ritual. And we, this is a first part of some great stuff, I think, with them. I think in this book, they're, to me, they really stand out a lot. I was wondering if they stood out to you and how much of the inner dynamics between these Talimas, the Tisliosian, and this pair, uh, how, how that was jiving for you. Yeah, um, okay, now honestly, I feel like I missed the part of the last section where they start, where they set up this ritual. I started reading that part and I was like, I forget what's happening. <laughs> They announced um, they were going to do it, and they were like, "Troll, we need some of your blood." And they were like, "How much?" Yeah. And then, like, the chapter ended. I, yeah, I think it was like the Tisti Lotion have the power to like open a rift by calling on their god, but the ritual needs shit. Yeah, it was a lot. I, that whole I, thing confused me. So, if you yeah. want to unpack that a little bit, I, I would. They I would came deal back with later, that. and I was super like, "Oh um, yeah, yeah, that part was cool." At that scene. Um, what, what specifically, I mean, I think they, they combine their powers, like, of different magic to do it, but specifically what parts, I guess, you know. When they do it. Okay. And then he's like, oh, everybody else died or something? They were trying yeah. to fight, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that so, comes later. Yeah. So they were, the, the Tisthiosian were trying to do 
well, okay, they were all trying to do the same ritual, but the Talana Mass had uh, ulterior motives uh, yeah. to open the portal. Okay, hold on. So India, yeah. we we do not learn it from these guys, but we do, or sort of do. We learned that Osric, okay, you got that name? The father of light. Os- Osric or Osric. So Osric is is the guy who's like in charge of the Warner Light, which the Tistilosian, the like high elf inserts worship, right? However, it is very clear through other storylines that whoever they are worshiping currently is not Osric, it is just someone masquerading as him. And the Tis and the uh Talani Mass, yes. No, I would I, sorry, I was gonna let you finish your thought, but I was just gonna say that I don't even think that there's anybody on the throne. They're just assuming it's Osric. Yeah, like they haven't heard from him in a while, but they yes, To cut Peter. in, I really I, I was so excited to say Osric, but just to be clear, he is the hero of the Tist Leosian. Father Light ah. is a different figure, you know? Okay. Okay. But so they basically worship this Osric guy, right? The Talani Mass know that whatever is at the center of this warren of light that they are have that the Tissilusion have, they are like, that's not an ascendant. That is like some sort of thing that must be purged. Okay. But they can't tell the Tissilusion that. So like during the ritual when they're opening up these portals, the Talani Mass slide in to go take care of that, and that pops up in the Pearl storyline and in uh, yeah later on another storyline. The Oric, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Oric's timeline. There we go. Yeah. Got also, it. I want to go on the oh, record. Soul Taken Ape is the best Soul Taken. Very cool. Pretty cool. cool. Pretty um, cool. So anyway, to go back to your main, your your, your original question, Pete, uh, I am fully on board with Troll and Onrak. They could do anything they want. Uh, it's so much fun to just read them doing anything and being best friends. And uh, I really, really love it. And um, the part when... Uh, basically, Onrek saves Troll's life, more or less, I guess, by ripping him out of the ritual or whatever sure, he sure. did. Really just warmed my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really loved it. I'm so excited to talk about them. And I think we should again, because we they, they have multiple recurring pretty big scenes and we learn a lot about their past. But um, yeah. for now, I think I want to keep things moving and just touch in with uh, Josh. The last uh, part of this chapter, Pearl and Lestari Yil are, are, are traveling through the Imperial Warren and they encounter this crucified dragon. What's up, Dragon Jesus? What's your thoughts? I have several thoughts. Uh, first off, the 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 like the idea of a dragon aspected of Ototeril is I don't know insane. Um, the idea also of dragons in general is very confusing because sometimes they're soul taken and then sometimes they're not. Well, it's and just I'm like very, and then I guess this so like I guess this one's just like an actual dragon that's not also like another thing. I don't really know though. Uh, here, here's what I want to actually talk about is the Imperial Warren, because yeah. I feel like over the course of these first four books, the Imperial Warren has gone from, this is how the Empire has been so successful, we're so powerful because of this Warren, to actually it's more like, guys, guys, we don't know what the fuck this is, but it sometimes <laughs> is really good. There's like, a ton every, of trash in here, and we can just go yeah, every. Them. Every book, like, there's a, there's a non-Imperial person who's like, you know, there's signs that this is some real fucked up shit. And the Imperial person are like, we know. Just don't think about it, and it's all better. Don't ask any questions. Just walk through, you know? Yeah. And also the fact that the doors can just sometimes, uh, I mean, we, we saw with Kalama, they can take fucking forever. Or in this case, the door opens into the warren of fire. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, we're in hell. We have, we have really goofed here. Yeah. It's a big vibe. I'll give you that. 
I just love it. It's well, every book the empire the empire seems more and more held together by dumb luck and duct tape. Like yeah. it's pretty great. I just love the image of uh, the Otaro dragon, and I just think it's very. I don't know. I I think it's real cool, and I think when I reread this series and understand what the fuck is happening and why that dragon's there, I'll be like, man, this is cool. Right now, I'm just kind of like, all right. You're like, okay, I guess that is there. I guess we do have a Jesus dragon. Yeah. That will destroy all magic if it's released. Other people have been crucified, you know? It doesn't need to be the big JC, you know? That's true. Um... (laughs) Yeah, we already have our, our Christ analog in this series. We don't yeah, it's true. Hello, and welcome to our Patreon segment. We're okay. going to shout out people <laughs> who are paying us money, because you guys fucking rule. This very, week, we're very, shouting out... Very formal, I love it. Yeah. This week, we're shouting out Talk the Midler, Sid, Eric, the one and only Paradigm Flux Emporium, Jake, Viator Rex, John, Nathan, Joseph, Mel, Joe... Chiratsu, Grant, Maxim, Marcus, and Cian. Is it Cian or is it Sean? And Sean. Give it a second. And Cyan. So just pick one. Do you want me to put all of them? I, don't I think put them all. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Just throw it in. I'm just going to cut them all right now. Cian, Sean, Cyan. Uh, Imagine it's none of those. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much uh, for contributing to the Patreon. We we are absolutely blown away by the generosity that you all have shown us in the community, and we hope that we will do you proud with these bonus episodes and the regular episodes, and just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Chapter 13. Shaikh commands over the forces of the whirlwind. Leoman will ride out to meet Tavor and assures Shaikh he will not engage with the Malzans, and he departs. Afterwards, Shaikh, Haborik, and Korblodam speak together of Leoman and the warriors they have let loose into the desert. Eventually, Shaikh lets Dom go to find Febral. Alone then, Felicin and Haborik speak about who they can trust, Loric, and Bidathal and his warrens. They say the whirlwind is a fragment of Kralde Emerlane with growing power. They both suspect Tavor's Otatoral sword will negate the power of the High Mages in the whirlwind, but the armies will have to meet on the open field. They speak more of magic, and Aboric feels that he is truly unable to leave. Bellison Younger is tricked by Silgar into entering Bidathal's temple. Inside, the High Mage Bidathal abuses and mutilates the child. Loric reflects on the Talani Mass and the past, and then enters the garden to commune with Triss, the Queen of Dreams. Together, they speak of Loric disguising his nature as a Tisliosian, his father Osric, and the Warren Kurald Thurlun. He then returns to the camp. He senses and finds Felicin Younger, crawling towards Karsa's Grove. Felicin Younger wants to recover and await in the grove. Loric knows he did nothing to stop this abuse. Haborg dreams of jade giants, perfect and sexless. He sees a vision of them, following the crippled god into this world, as if in pursuit. He sees into the giants and sees figures, screaming terrified mouths and beings. 
he finds himself within the statue, unintelligible voices and unanswerable questions. The voices speak of belief and killing gods. Haboric wakes and found his tattoos transformed by the god Treach, his hands slashed jade, and his otatoral gone. Felicin Younger awakes in the grove, snakes surrounding her. She thinks on Bidithal's words, his damnation of pleasure and sensation, and of the many girls Bidithal abuses. Karsa's god awakens then, and says Felicin shall have her vengeance, and she herself will be the knife. We're going to talk about the other plot threads in this chapter, but we wanted to start by discussing the mutilation and abuse of Felis and Younger, which uh, is obviously a very dark passage in this chapter. And then later on, she's found uh, by Lorik and Karsa's grove, recovering from it, and she reflects more on uh, that experience. Obviously, it goes to a pretty serious and dark place here. Um... I have some thoughts about it, but I was wondering what impression and left with the three of you. Uh, I, it was obviously uh, horrible to read about, and it you know went into not a lot of detail, but more detail than I would have liked it to have gone into. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I think we had a really good conversation uh, yesterday. We were all texting each other about it and then decided maybe we should talk about it on the show that we have. Um, I think we were having a good conversation about it being... Violence against women seems like a theme in this book, um, which is not a super great theme to have in a, in a book uh, as far as themes go, uh, or you know at all. But uh, I think Josh, you brought up an interesting point about it seeming like of all of the violence against women, this one seemed more like it had a narrative point or something. Yeah, yeah. This well, this was the one that I think there is like. We're not chalking this up to some sort of weird blood wine. We're not chalking it up to, like, ignorance. This is, like, pure evil. This is a person who is, like, I'm aware that this is awful and I'm doing it because of that. So I just yeah. really, it was... Let me cut in there. I have some mixed feelings about this passage, but I do think that, um, I agree. Clearly the text is fully condemning Bidithal here. You know, he is mm -hmm. villainous right, in this right, right. moment, you know? But I do think later on, there's the long passage explaining about his, uh, you know, warped ideology defending uh, defending castration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a, I, I, I think he's at least tr they're at least trying to present that type of worldview that would lead him to do that. You sure. know, I don't think it's presented as some inhuman evil that would let him do this. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think it's him carrying out. Uh, an evil, despicable ideology, you know? Mm, I see what you're saying. Um, but I think that brought an interesting point f for me, the idea that there was, like, an ideology behind it at all, that I think this moment would have had more of an impact on me as, like, a terrible but also an interesting story beat, I guess, if it weren't for all of the rape and uh, abuse of female characters earlier in this book um, committed by Karsa just like because. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, India, how yeah. did you, in, India, how did you feel about this? Um, I agree with AJ from his like one of his first points that it was just like I had to put the book down literally for how vivid it seemed. And mm -hmm. it's just I, I, I was it was just extra. I just 
I don't know what place there is in this for books anywhere, honestly. Mm. Like, I don't ever, I really didn't like it. I really don't ever want to read about it. It's like a very, it's not, you know, it's not a made up thing. Like this actually happens. Mm -hmm. So it is extremely disturbing. And it, it, I just, you know, didn't go into this chapter or this book expecting it. Like, so it was just really uh, disturbing. And I don't really know what comes next, like for Felison's story. And I just don't, I don't know. I just think it's a, I just don't like the story. I don't like, I don't like that this was included in the story. I just, I don't really like it at all. And I wish it wasn't. So those are my thoughts. I don't think there's any point you can really make to rationalize, like putting that into a book. Yeah. Like there are other ways to make people obviously bad. Right. That don't involve just violence against women or violence against just women. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's just like a, a new, like, it's just like. It's just a very specific type of violence that we're only seeing committed against female characters. I think for me here, the shortcoming is more about how I do not feel like I am being put into Fellas and Younger's shoes mm-hmm. in a believable or meaningful way. Right. You know, Lorik finds her in her aftermath and we're discussing whether or not Bidithal should be in the camp. Right. Which feels like this really like plotty type of thing for to be discussing in this moment of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and and it does. I, I don't know. I just can't go there with her emotionally, which to me feels like should be the focus of a storyline like this. So I think the failure to go to follow her emotions about this yep. in, in this in this chapter definitely leaves me out in the cold i do think he he's trying something i know in the loric part he says that you know he let everyone like he and everyone else let it happen you know which is objectively true but i don't know how i don't know what else there is to take away from that besides networks of powerful men let men abuse people right. mm-hmm. you yeah. know and the fact that that i think this is the last thing i want to say about this but the fact that her kind of uh, journey, Fallison's journey ends with her being like, well, you know, he was just doing what he thinks is right. So we can't really say anything about it because it'll ruin the rebellion. And it's just like ending that like th- thought with like, like rash trying to, to rationalize her abuse feels really shitty. And like Loric immediately after that is like, well, no, this fucker needs to be dead. And she's like, well, no, he can't yet. Just like, I, I don't know, it reckons with itself, but also not in a way that felt good to me. Josh, do you have a last word on it? Nope. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. India, do you have a last word on it? I, I just wish that, that it was a, another situation that happened yep. to get us to this point. I don't yep. know why that had to be what was in the story. And that is the last thing I will say on that. Yeah. So let's talk about the other storylines in the chapter here. At the beginning of the chapter, Josh Shaikh's there and she's talking uh, with Leo in a bit. And then we see uh, the other commanders and we, we're kind of just more examining the whole military situation on the outskirts of the Army of the Apocalypse. So what do you make of Leoman's role here? And then what do you make of them suspe- uh, talking about Tavor's Ototero sword and uh, projecting forward about what the battle may be like? I, I would say uh, I've been very lukewarm on a lot of the whirlwind stuff, but I believe this specific part of this chapter is my favorite thing that has happened in the whirlwind so far by like a long mm. stretch. Mm. Because 
I have gone on the record that I dislike uh, Felis and Elder slash Shaikh, uh many times. I fact. believe I believe you've called her a bitch on this show that, look, more than once. At that moment in time, she was acting in a way that upset me. I will say that in this part of the chapter, I am all aboard the Felis and slash Shaikh chain. She just fucking hands Corbel Odom his balls on a silver platter, and it is everything I wanted from this scene. Because Corbel Odom sucks in every single way. He is self Major. he is self-important. He believes he's the smartest person in the room. And I mean he did Classic Malibu. You know, uh, he crucified a fucking army. Um so yeah, he's despicable in every way. And I loved her just being like, yo, you fucking insect. Go take care of your fucking insect chores or whatever. I just loved it. Um, she has the great line, it is a flaw among aging men, I think, that yes. brittle self-importance. Oh, so good. I also want to say that uh, I can't figure Leoman out as like, I don't know how you guys feel that haven't read the book. Peter, I don't care about your opinion because um, you know the answer to this. I feel like Leoman is in this space where I can't figure out if he is an ally if he is a independent party looking out for his own well-being. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, he's leaving with these warriors, but, like, is he... I, I just can't figure out what his purpose is, you know? He says it's because he's tired or what of waiting around or whatever and wants to, like, check things out. But, like, if he went to the Malazans and was like, yo, what's up? Here's a bunch of warriors. We're on your side now. I would mm. be like, I could see that happening. Like, I, I just can't... I can't get a peg on him at yeah. all. No, no. I feel like he is maybe actually, like, playing some 4D chess with us and is several steps ahead of where we are. I, I can't tell yet. At the end of this part in India, Haborik says he feels like he is unable to leave, that he is trapped here in a house of chains. Um, what do Name you make drop. of that? And do you think Haborik should leave? Or do you want him to? Or, or, or do you think he actually is trapped? So yesterday, when we were texting um, about that, that, I think it was about this scene in particular, and I was kind of confused because I didn't understand what he meant, like how Felicin could be the reason that he's in this house of chains and the tea, and I didn't get it, and then AJ explained it. And honestly, I don't know what, I don't really think that he needs to like, if he wants to leave, sure, like go ahead. But like, where is he going? Like what's, why does he need to go? I think he should stay. I'm always team Felicin though, not gonna lie. So whatever is in her best interests is what I want. India, here's where I'm at. Um, I thought I understood the whole jade hand, like he need to go place. And then he drank some tea and he tripped real hard and he was in space. And that <laughs> part of this chapter is the first time since book one that I have felt like, what are we doing? I that thought was so this weird. was a fantasy book. We now have spaceship hands. We're doing sci-fi. I just... I, I, yeah, India, I don't know. I thought he needed to leave, and now maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just tripped hard enough and he figured out the secrets of the universe. Let's just talk I mean, we've about all, that we've tripping all been sequence, there. which is, I think, so well written, so funky and weird, you know? For me, this is the type of, this is like such Steve Malazan shit. I mean, I'm here for like, and then, you know, the boar tiger boy slips into his weird dream realm and enters the large stage statues of screaming people and blah, blah. You know, man, I'm here for it. Let's trip, my bro. You know, I also got to say, yo, our boy Steve has a hundo percent tripped his balls <laughs> off in order to write that scene so accurately. Um, yeah. <laughs> please ask him about it on the show. <laughs> OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, who are these giants? 
India. Why we, are there uh, people inside the Giants? Uh, great questions. Who are those we people? will. I hope to God that by the end of book 10, we have an answer to that because I have zero idea. I, I, I don't why know. Do they, yeah. And like, why are some of them broken? Are they statues or are they people? Are they both? But see, I think it's like this type of chapter that like at the uh, sorry, at this type of sequence at the beginning of this chapter, would you have ever imagined the book was going to go to a place like this? Do you know I mean we're it, that's the type of thing where Steve just takes me to some unknown realm and I'm like, yeah, we are here. The dragon is crucified. We're are we're in yeah. the Jade statue, you know? I think I think Steve sat down and he was like, you know, I've been too easy on him for most of this book. Let's just <laughs> let's just do it. I've been laying everything out straight and narrow. Well, the final part of this chapter, uh, Lorik. Uh, wait, I wait, 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 wait. Go India. Just right after this, isn't this when he comes? When does he Havork realize that Treach? Blah blah blah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, it's here. He, yeah, that's at the end of this. He wakes up and all is now he's a tiger boy and uh, he's all treached up. I yeah, do, I don't. How the fuck does do him and Gruntle meet up? Is my is my <laughs> question? Because you got to have the Destrian and Mortal Sword together. Mm. Wait, wait, wait. But if he was in this hand, the Jade thing, how then did he come out of it with the Treach God stuff? Uh, what the hell? I'm pissed. Yeah, I was I pissed. Know. I don't know. I'm pissed. I don't get it. He's now powerful AF. Literally nothing happened except he went inside the body and came out. And it wasn't even of like, what? And that's what I have to say. Yeah, I was also very confused by that because he immediately wakes up and it's like, curse you, Treach. And it's like, we didn't even see a fucking tiger. That entire hallucination. What are you talking you about, my man? Him. No <laughs> one did. Oh, well, wait, 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 wait. I'm pretty sure that by going into the jade thingy, he comes out and he's like, oh, the Oat to Tarot has fully left my body. Mm. He How? does say that. And I believe the Oat to Tarot leaving his body is probably what opens him up for the transformation into the Treach Destriant. Okay. I'm sick of it. That sounds like a strong theory to me, Josh. Uh, also, I just want to I, I back up real quick. Uh, back to the initial scene of Shaik on the hill. Or you're talking with Haboric. I have some problems with her battle plan. Because her battle, I guess I need to clarify. She is very confident that Tavor and her one sword could stop three high mages. How far is the sphere of influence of the Ototero sword, Peter? I guess we're going to see. Because, yeah. like, like, for this to be true, her sword needs to be able to just make, like, a bubble that just eliminates magic for a huge area. And I feel like we would have seen that with, uh, with the first adjunct. Lorne? Yeah. Yeah. I don't that, know. It's very interesting to me. Uh, Follow up. Just shoot her. And then the, we're good. Oh, uh, that's a, that's <laughs> a classic get, war get a plan. I, we should let the generals know. Just shoot them. And you're hey, good. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Uh, they shot Shaikh. Hmm? They, they did shot shoot Coltane. Shaikh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but, happened several times where they're just like, what if we... The, this, the, both those situations had, a, 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 the, especially the Coltane situation, a little more moving parts than just shot him, but... Um, uh, I don't know. All right, AJ, the final part of this chapter we, didn't, we haven't touched on is Laoric, yes. too, goes on a kind oh. of dream journey, except he goes up and talks to Triss, and then we learn all about that he's a secret Tisliosian, or not-so-secret, 
if you ask me. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> he comes back, and then he goes to find Fellas and Younger. So what did you make of all this? Uh, some, we're learning a lot more about the Tisleosian in this book, and uh, especially this part of House of Chains. What did you yeah. think about Lorik and uh, his history? I was extremely confused when we first started, or when I first started reading this part, because I wasn't sure if we had learned that uh, Lorik wasn't just like a, a a human, but you know, obviously that was a reveal. So I felt good <laughs> that it felt like a reveal to me. Um, no, I, I think it's it's interesting. I think it's an interesting little tidbit that they kind of just like gloss over is that uh, sometimes Tice people can just be like, "Oh, I'm human." And just like blend in, like Anna yeah. Rake did apparently for a while. I love oh, that when he was like, he was yeah. a bodyguard for two hundred years. Yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, I guess that's a thing we can do now. Um, no, I think it's really cool. I'm I'm digging all of the 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 Tyst family tree history uh, and, and and stuff, and like these ancient wars that nobody else really knows about because they didn't know that the like Leotian existed or whatever. I, I, I think it, I think it's all pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> me too, and it makes me specifically want to read more about Carcanus. But I feel that way every is time. Is that what Carcanus? Is that what Carcanus is about? Uh, well, it's about Carcanus. So is we'll leave Carcanus it at that. a person, <laughs> um, an okay. idea, a place? Hey, if the- Carcanus is a proper noun. Okay. Um, oh, good. Thank <laughs> you. Chapter fourteen. Wolves stalk Carsa. The wolves are De Ivers Relandris, trying to warn him of two dire travelers that Carsa will soon meet. Carsa ignores the warning and continues on. He meets Mappo and Icarium in the ruins of a city. Mappo speaks to Carsa as Icarium sizes him up. The two speak of each other's fame and legacy, their powers, and in the end, Icarium strikes. Icarium breaks Carsa's sword and Carsa knocks Icarium unconscious. Before Carsa can deal the killing blow, Mappo knocks him out. Carsa awakes and finds that Icarium has been digging up a seven-headed statue of a hound. About a week of travel later, Carsa finds an empty town. There, he reflects on the ghosts of Bayroth and Delum, Hood, and the chains of living and dead. He crosses into Warrens, first to Lan, then Omtos Falak, where he finds a jagged woman pinned down. He frees the woman, and she speaks of the importance of the Jagodan and how it has preserved so much ancient life and culture. She also speaks of the wars with the Talanamas. Karsa emerges back into the Jagodan and finds a valley where Talanamas made their flint weapons. Uragal and the other Tablor gods appear and speak to Karsa about the ritual, wills, and their lives as Talanamas. Sabal says she has raised an army of fallen to lead against the Lowlanders. Karsa listens, and then crafts his own flint blade imbued with the spirits of Bayroth and Delum. Karsa says he can never be unbound, that the Seven put the chains that carry the souls of those he's killed on him. He denies Tablor godhood, but accepts the title of Knight of Chains. Urgal tells Karsa that he has learned much. Karsa agrees, and tells the gods that they shall witness. So, this is one of two Karsa-focused chapters. And at the beginning of it, he uh, is talking to these little wolves, and then he comes up and he gets warned that he's going to meet these two people, and then, ba-da, it's Mapo and Akarium. And they kind of they kind of brawl a little bit. And uh, so what did you make of this uh, kind of surprise meeting of Mapo and Akarium? And did you think they were going to make an appearance in this book? Literally, no. I don't know who said it last week that 
they hope that Matt Bowen, I think it was Josh or was it AJ, that Matt Bowen car come back. AJ I, texted I, me like three day, weeks ago and he was like, I yeah, think right Josh after we recorded the last Yeah, I hate that. That was the voice you used for me, but OK. <laughs> um, yeah, right after the last episode, I was like, oh, I do actually have a real prediction. And I said that in our, oh, in our main chat, but then I messaged Peter privately. Yeah, I messaged yeah. Peter privately. I was like, they're going to Cars is going to run into Mapo and Ikarium and it's going to be wild. I don't know what's going to happen. Why did you feel that way? But, yeah, and then it did happen. I felt so validated. Um, I don't know, because Carso was going off in his own direction and Mapo and Acarium were wandering the desert. And so I thought, you know, <laughs> what better what time for, for... <laughs> just a yeah, random, Carson, random, random meetup on the Odin. Carso meets one of his gods and, <laughs> you know, um, or whatever Acarium is to the... Uh, Toblakai people. So what did you make of this encounter, India? Um, I liked it. It was nice to see them again. I didn't, um, I still don't get their place, but it seems Akarium is going to be so, going to make, I, I don't know, he seems like a big deal to a lot of people. So, hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm intrigued to see what comes of it. What I didn't get is why, like, Mapo and Karsa are having, like, you know, civilized discussion, and then Akarium comes out and he's like, Oh, you have to die. I must kill you. I gotta, I'm going to pop in. I got this. All right? Take it. Okay. S- the answer to this question is Steve watches anime. I have to assume. <laughs> because this, Steve's a weeb. This is... Uh, I literally just was watching One Piece yesterday, and it's like a classic anime trope that, like, two strong dudes see each other and... Like they want to, they want, they have to fight because they have to know if they would win the fight. And the only way to know that they would win is to fight and they just have to do it. It's like the law. I, it's an anime law. It's a Steve law. Now two strong people see each other. They got to fight. It's the same reason Carson started shit with, uh, the dude in the bone tower. What was his name? What did we call him? The caretaker. The caretaker. It's the same, you know, Carso had to see it, size him up, and the caretaker was like, all right, and just punched him in the gut. And the caretaker is an extremely anime character. Oh, very like, anime. Carson and the caretaker see like each a one other, piece man in they're my like, head. he's big, I'm big, I think I can take him. And they have to. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing just, I've ever heard. It, yeah, They just really no wanted to kiss, and they didn't know how to take out their aggression in a constructive <laughs> way, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um... Well, let me uh, let me keep things moving. You know, we're really this episode's becoming a big boy. Um, it's seven chapters, so. Wow. So after they they get in this big boy fight, Josh uh, Carson continues onward. He uh, talks more to these ghosts that are following him, and then he goes and encounters the first jagged he meets, and then ultimately he ultimately ends up back on the Jago Dan in a valley with Talani mass weaponry in it. He then speaks to the seven. All about uh, this army of the fallen, making a flint blade, making the lowlanders, uh, yeah. fighting with the lowlanders. And then at the very end, he says he will be the knight of chains. So what did you make of this first encounter with the jagged, but then more this uh, this ending part in the well, Talani Mass Valley? I actually have, I, I take issue with the wording of what you just said in some way, because I believe... Um, he doesn't agree to be the Knight of Chains. I, I'm looking at it right now. All he does is reveal that he knows that that's what they want him to be. 
Yes, I think at the end of this chapter, they kind of there leave it on a cliffhanger-y like is, thing. There is place for you nonetheless in the House of Chains. I, Knight of Chains, Champion of the Crippled God. You have learned much, Carso Orlon. I have, Talane Mass, as you shall witness. He never says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Maybe I summed it up bad. I, I was kind of, honestly, I wanted to put it in a dramatic way. But I do know at the end of this chapter, he kind of leaves it as like a... Knight of Chains reveal, yeah, and then yeah, we yeah. obviously follow it's more, it up yeah, yeah. in chapter 17, maybe? Yeah, I would say it's, it's more appropriate to say that he, like, it, it, the option is there, and he understands the weight of it. Yeah, he it. faces that yeah. title. Uh, I I thought this part of the chapter was, was incredible. I, I love this, like, weird worn travel through Talon and then Omtos Falak. Uh, I was... It's very Karsa to just see people in suffering and go, not my problem. Do you know what? Uh, Do you know what? Do you know what? Let's go to the Bone Zone. Let's go! Bring me down! The bone zone. Uh, I, I love yeah. in this part how they talk about the how the Warren of Talon and the Warren of Omtes Felloc are like adjacent and like kind of intermingling in this way, and how these two pe- these two races so long at war like are bonded. You know, th- these two are a pair in conflict yeah. with each other. You know, I think it's very interesting. I, and I, I love the image of like, he's walking across this battlefield that is like, it's very ageless. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, is it ancient? Did it just happen? It's impossible. The only people who know that are the ones who are literally trapped under ice. And then we meet, um, I can't remember the female jacket. Oh, uh, uh, she's incredible. I loved that character. Yes. Um, and him, you know, the meeting, like, he just shatters the rocks, and she's like, no one will be able to free me. And he's just like, hold up, blah, and she's like, all right, yeah, you freed she, me. She has, she has a great quote after he does that, where she just, <laughs> she just says, ignorance honed into a weapon. Yeah, that's Which is just so like, good. Carsa Orlong in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also find it really interesting, I mean, in the uh, in the first few books, the Jackets are just like, you know, these, these beings that feel almost, like, immeasurably powerful, and then I, I didn't understand just how crazy Carsa is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, in terms <laughs> yeah. of power and size. Uh, I do want to say, it felt very Star Wipe when she's like, you have much to learn, Carsa Orlong. Yeah, yeah, it's like Star Wipe, and now we're on Dagobah. Like, you know, it's just bullshit. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting. Um, I I have to say, I, I think I really hope Carsa doesn't do some unforgivable shit because I love him. I love this journey he is on. It will be a real bummer if he does some terrible stuff later. Uh, yeah. Um, I love how big um, the D&D energy is of having Carsa be like, oh, I got to cross this whole desert. And then the DM's just like, mm, that's going to take too long. No, you just go through this portal and you'll be there in like 10 minutes. I feel like this whole <laughs> section has such big D&D side quest zone, like talking <laughs> yeah. tree, all this stuff. Let's make a yes. weapon. Let's get a whole yes. in a big, big energy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, India, I uh, we learn more here about the seven and that uh, I think it here is when it's most explicit that they are Talani Mass, and we learn more about the them and Sibal specifically. Um, so, what did you make more about the the seven here? And what's your vibe on them? We talk about them later on, but w- are you trusting them? Are you with them? Are you worshiping? Are you going to be the Knight of Chains? I'm not with them. They seem confused. It was in this moment that I realized no one group of people is all good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that you know they're flawed and imperfect and i don't know where i'm going with this but all i know <laughs> is that i don't really get them they're not gods i don't know what they are and oh, i want to oh, yeah go ahead 
I want to hop in. I do want to clarify a couple things. Can you can you confirm a couple things for me, Peter? Absolutely, I can, Josh. Well, I said Peter, but no. uh, well, India, <laughs> India, please confirm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the seven gods of the Templar are mm, yes. Talani Mass, and in fact, yes. they are the seven Talani Mass who initially failed to take down the female jacket whose name I've forgotten again. Uh, it starts with an A. Aramala. Aramala. So they're those seven, correct? And because they failed, they should have been, like, obliterated, but instead they left. And in fact, are they the renegades that, uh, that, uh, uh, oh, what's his face? The, our, our current bone boy? I can't think of his name. Onrak. Onrak. They're the renegades he's chasing, yes? Yes. Thank you. Okay. So they're all the same. They are gods, they are also failures, and they are renegades all into one Are they beautiful... gods, though? Well, they are they're gods. They gods. are. They make themselves to be gods, and then there's a great conversation in two chapters about Ugh, what a god is. I love that. They, they're not really gods. Yeah, they're not, they just they're presented not... themselves this way to these primitive. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're not liars. You know, yeah, they're not ascendant or anything. Yeah. yeah, hate those guys. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I just wanted to double check. Temple primitive is judgy in a way, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I, I was just judgy. like I felt. I felt kind of good about it. I wanted to double check. No, and that's why I actually like. A while ago, AJ called the seven Talani Mass, and then you were like, no, they're yeah, not Talani Mass. Yeah, literally did. We were like, they're not Talani Mass. You're so dumb, AJ. <laughs> and I, was, I, I... And did, you were like... I showed you fools. Yeah, you did. You really did. And I called the Mapo Aquarium meet, so... Well, we're going to have another chance to talk about Carso, but let's keep things moving. Chapter 15. Fiddler is tracking an army of 3,000 soldiers that is trailing the adjunct. He is surprised to see, though, that they are the burned tears of Kundral. Their leader, Gahal, introduces themselves and says they wish to be like Coltane. Tavor welcomes them, and Gahal swears himself to Timul. They have gained more soldiers, but the legacy of Coltane still hangs over the adjunct and our army. Gamut joins the adjunct later that night, and they speak of the army's future and cycles of history. They then come to the Vathar River crossing. He encounters Captain Kennep, who's taken to following around the dogs, Bent and Roach. Kennep and Gamut speak of Gessler, the sergeant's god, and the Salanda. Kennep will keep an eye on Gessler's stormy and truth. Fiddler is lonely and doesn't want to return to Raraku. Fiddler talks with Gessler about deserting the company and regretting coming. They talk about what they would do if they weren't soldiers. Fiddler hears the songs of Nether and Nil. He finds the warlock and butterflies cover Fiddler and urge him forward. Gamut reflects with Kenneb about the past and the history of the land. The remnants of the old battle litter the river Rathar. Tavor orders the bridge to be blown asunder, even if it might insult the tribes. The Fists discuss that it should be done delicately and go to tell the tribes. Tavor finds Nether and Nell playing in the river, and confronts them about their grief. Fiddler and Cuddle blow the bridge clear, and the army can move forward. Fiddler, however, takes no joy in clearing the way. Continuing, the army can see that the Admiral Nock has retaken Ubaradad, and they discuss whether Shaikh will test their army. In the distance, the whirlwind glows. Chapter 15 is a somewhat sad chapter where we reflect on the history of the past and of this land and 
trying to move through it. And there's also reluctant soldiers in both Gamut and Fiddler. Um, specifically, Tavor's army re-encounters the river Vathar, and we see the remnants of the battle from Deadhouse Gates, where there was a bloody barge, there were these butterflies, and they talk about crossing over it and moving past both the memory of the battle and the physical remnants of the battle itself. Uh, it, it starts with Fiddler, and, and he in this chapter reflects on what his life would be like if he wasn't a soldier, thinks about leaving, but ultimately some butterflies uh, rest on him and he finds the strength to go forward. Josh, what did you think about revisiting Fiddler in this section and the River Vathar from Deadhouse Gates? Uh, well, it took me a little while to like remember which one this was. There were several battles. Um, but this yeah. is the one that uh, I believe... They did like there was a lot of behind the scenes strategy that we were not privy to as readers. You know what I mean? There was like a, there was like a river. They went upstream. Yeah, they like destroyed they a thing. And... They destroyed a bridge. Yeah. It was a whole stunt. So I thought it was pretty interesting. It's also really interesting to like to. I mean, almost no one here was there. You know what I mean? Like they're going off of rumors they've heard and like what they're seeing. But like you know, with the exception of uh, Stormy and Gessler, and I think Cuddle, I think he was there. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, he's there. So I don't know. I, was, I actually was surprised we didn't get to like really hear a lot from them, but uh, we heard a little bit. But um, I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, gross. Also, just super fucking gross with a river of held together by blood. Uh, so didn't yeah. didn't really need that one, Steve. But it was there. So I don't know. It didn't have a it was not hugely impactful for me. It was more of like, a oh, cool. I just wanted to shout out Gessler here, who I didn't get to read this quote from a while ago. But he swears, and because he belongs to uh, the cult of Fenir, he says, this is way earlier in the book. He says, and who in Fenir's hoofprint are you? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just some real fantasy shit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in Fenir's hoofprint. It's very yeah, good. By my good. beard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let me come to you, Inge. Uh G Gamut wrote, talks to Keneb, speaks about the history, and, and you know, we, we see some of this struggles with some of the same issues Fiddler does, but we also get a more insight into Devor and how she's leading the company and she speaks to Nether and, Nevi uh, Nether and Nil. So how are you feeling about Tavor and her leading the army under uh, the legacy of Coltane? I think that even the way Steve writes her character, she seems like such a secondary, like, irrelevant kind of in a way like she's such a small part I feel um so even when she is like doing things to me it's first of all it's always mentioned that she's in his like shadow and second of all she has no real like personality which I I understand but it's just uh I don't know nothing about her parts is ever very impactful to me or this this grouping in general um I don't there are so many characters in this book that I need to keep track of. And so in my head, there's like the A list and then there's the B list and then there's like Gamut and Tavor and all that, all that shit down there. Um, mm. So to be, I don't really think she's, I, I've, I don't know when her like moment to shine is going to come or when I'm actually going to see her as a relevant character. Um, but I don't at all. I don't know if you guys feel differently or if you feel like she's not very impactful to the story as it is. Um, 
But yeah, that's how I feel. I think, I think it's interesting you say that and present it that way because to me, I mentioned earlier, I feel like this this book three here kind of loses me a bit as a reader. I feel like we're just all over the place, and yeah. um, I do feel that I do feel that way in that uh, definitely when I came into this book the first time, uh, I was like, this book's all about Tavor and Felicent, you know. And then you start to read about Carsa forever and then you get to here and, and there's a lot of other storylines. And I almost feel the way you do, India, that when you come to Tavor and you come to Fiddler and Gamut, it doesn't really feel like the A story or like the focus of the book necessarily. Right. You know, so I do I do feel you in that there's a lot going on that, it, you know, it, it's hard to know where to put your focus. AJ, uh. How did this whole section hit you? Did you have anything you took away from chapter 15? Um, of all of chapter 15? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the pick of the litter. Oh, yeah, I guess this is just all about... Wow, I didn't realize. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to go way back to the beginning of the chapter where just a whole army of 3,000 people shows up and is like, hey, we'll fight for you. What's up? And they're just we like, here. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, okay, I and guess we're, we're doing this the now. They're the ones that in Deadhouse Gates arrived and then gave the refugees like a, a, a safe place to sleep sleep right <sighs> i mean that sounds very realistic but also well, he mentions like no the helping, memory, so. he mentions helping and then leaving and i believe that means that these are the guys who are the last tribe to assist coltane like the coltane army is escaping and then a huge army appears and they're like we're surrounded but that army is like helping them and then they like help haboric in them but then they leave. I think, and I think that's what it is, right? They're guilty uh, that they uh, left. I know who you're talking about. I just can't specifically. I, you're I, not 100. Very yeah, likely, you. you're correct. I just don't okay. know. Yeah, he he does say that that he regrets like yeah. leaving and stuff. So I, that that sounds right. Um, and then I also enjoy how finally t- two important people are like, hey. Stormy Gessler and Truth are kind of weird, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like that doesn't <laughs> seem like a regular tan. I don't think. Like, they're literally like, that doesn't look like a tan, which is just like, yeah, no shit, dude. And then, uh, and then I think it's uh, a Gessler comes up and it's like, yeah, it was super weird when I got punched. Yeah, that was weird. Like, well, because he got punched, you know, punched and like, that's the a... only thing that's hurt him yet. So, right. Yeah. yeah. He's like, man, I can't sleep. I can't drink. You know, I'm just like feeling super immortal over here. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> it's just like, OK, man, come on. <laughs> um, and then our poor boy Fiddler is just is depressed, which is a bummer. <laughs> Yeah, it's a sad point. And just quickly, what the hell is wrong with Nil and Nether? And why are they being treated like children? They are not children. It's they are physically children. Like when he like, where did their power go? Is it when that person died they lost their power? That man in the ground or whatever. I don't think they lost their power, but I think they are just searching for uh, what's his name. He comes back up in this chapter with He's the butterflies. He's got the name that's incredibly close to Corbola Dom. Something with an S. It starts Peter, with an S, it? but it's it's nearly identical to Corbola Dom, and it's infuriating. Oh, oh, Sormo Ina. There we go. It's like, it's, yeah, well, not super close, but yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's two words, and that always gets me. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, I think it. they're just kind of like, hey, where do, where's our where's our, our big, our other friend? Like, where's our third? <laughs> I also think, I mean, India, yeah. Nil and Nether are explicitly in Dead House Gates, like, second. Like, Sorno Ianath is yeah. the dude, and Nil and Nether kind of yeah. occasionally assist. You yeah. know what I mean? I see. I see. So, I don't know. And I, I, I honestly wonder, I don't know if Peter has any insight, but I wonder if, fi- like, if there's a physiological, ch- like, thing happening from them being in children's bodies. You know, if that is impacting their psyches at all. Could be. I don't know. Probably. Right? It'd be weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 
Because when they when they have that conversation with Fiddler and they're like, why did he talk to you? I mean, like, literally, they sound like children wishing that yeah. their parents would talk to them, which is rough. True. Chapter 16. Kalam spends a week in Pust's temple and has healed. Kalam takes a few diamonds and will breach the whirlwind in the heart of Raraku. He travels with Pust to the whirlwind and hears a song. The Aslan demon misdirects the whirlwind and Kalam is able to slip in unnoticed. Cotillion and Shadowthrone speak of Traveler and his stubbornness. They also speak of the Witch Hall. They agree the Talon are up to something and that it is who Cutter and Absalar are headed to stop. Cotillion says it will end in Raraku. Absalar wakes up on a ship with Cutter. She speaks with him about Traveler and paths to walk. Pearl and Lestariel speak with an Earth Spirit and track the paths of rats and the Panpoxidon. Pearl uses sorcery to speak with the corpse of a claw that had escorted the divers, Grillin. They sense Hood had visited here and wonder about how the Warren could have changed those who traveled here. They then think that Felsen is likely with the army of Apocalypse itself. Onrak contends with his new memories and thinks back to when he painted a mortal eye mask and trapped the woman in time. Kalava. It was for this crime he was banished from his tribe. And Onrak thinks more on Kalava. Onrak and Troll then continue onward, looking for the renegade Tanai mask. They travel together and speak about learning lessons and people changing. Troll thinks Onrak is sounding more and more mortal. Nearby, Tisilios and her camped and set off to find their old friend, Ikarium. In this chapter, we touch on a lot of storylines again. We already spoke of the Traveler conversation, but we see Absalar and Cutter setting sail, Kalam slipping into the whirlwind, Pearl and Lestara Yill on the trail, and Onrak and Trull speaking about their pasts. India, the choice is yours. Uh, which one of these left a mark on you? Um, Which one of these left a mark on me? I liked when Karsa killed, well, I don't know if he killed or just kind of broke Sibau. And then oh, broke, broke um, took her in his backpack. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's technically in the next chapter, but I too like that when he takes bones and then Troll uses, uh, sorry, Onrak uses her other bones. Very good. Hilarious. Are we at 16 then, not 17? Yeah, we're at 16. 16. Oh. So I really liked the whole seed with Kalam and Is- Iskarl Pust and Mag- his, his wife, whatever her name is. Morgana. Morgora. Um, I thought it was hilarious. And how, how, I don't know, how crazy they are and how much he was just like, all right, it's time to get out of here. Um, so that was like a nice little break yeah. in all of this like dense chapter. And I think, and I, and Josh said that it's, it's nice to have that little, I guess, fun in all of this. I fully agree. Steve can be fully funny. Yeah. And it's always a welcome change of pace because as we discussed about earlier, the books can be pretty fucking heavy. So when it, we get into joke, joke, fun time, spider woman zone, then like, yeah, I'm like, I'm here for it, you know? Yeah. But where exactly? I don't know if I just kind of forgot or we don't know why. What is, where, why is Clum going into um, the whirlwind to 
Baraku. He's been shared by Sadathod and Cotillion, but we don't know for what exact purpose yet. Oh, great. So can he's I, just can going I, to can everybody I, else. Can I let you know my guess? Reason. Can I let you know my guess? I think he's being sent to kill Bidithal because Bidithal is trying to usurp the House of Shadow. Mm. That's a fire guess. I think he, the lack of knowing his real purpose and um, the lack of knowing Absalar and Cutter's exact path, I think, to me makes it harder for me to follow and invest in some of these storylines sometimes, especially the first time I was reading the book. Because, you know, what are we doing here? You know, especially when just Kalam's traipsing through the desert. You know, I, I, you, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it doesn't, I wish I had more to bite my teeth into. Yeah. Well, that's, I feel like, a big theme of what's going on in this whole book is just like a bunch of random shit that I don't really know about. And the only interesting parts are Parsa and Bellison. Like, I, I, everything else I feel like is just so random right now. And it will obviously come together. And I say this all the time, I think, every time we read. But it's just, like, confusing and hard to remember. Josh, what, uh, what stands out to you here? Absalar and Cutter set sail. Pearl and Lestara investigate and conclude that Felicent's probably in the Army of the Apocalypse. And then Onrock and Troll speak of their past. Oh, I, I love the Onrock and Troll stuff. I mean, I, we, we've just so we've discussed good. they're a great pair. Uh, it, Best of boys. Uh, it's really interesting because the Talami Mass seem like this beautiful mixture of like incredibly wise and cynical from their years, and then at the same time, fucking stupid. Because they're like, <laughs> oh no, he went in the dark cave and he drew Kalava. Ah! Why does that matter? They're also like, like her, very deadly. Yeah, but they're like, they seem convinced that her soul's just gone. But we, we met Kalava. She was just like, nah, fuck this. I'm not trying to be dead bone boy forever. Like, I'm going to go be alive forever. Thank you. Hot I just, thing forever. Yeah, it's just like, why the fuck did we think drawing her would, it was this awful act punishable by exile? I don't, that just seems crazy <laughs> to me. I don't get it. I, <laughs> I really love this section and just him talking about his regrets. And then I think later on, or maybe it's this part, they talk about, oh, it's here. They talk about whether people can change or no, not. No, I, I, the whole, um, everything, everything is incredible. It's just the, like, it's just that the inciting act for his shitty life was that he drew Kalava. I, it's just so beyond understanding for me. Maybe it did something. Maybe, maybe it actually did. And maybe that's why she didn't. I don't know. But it like. It's just, as of right now, the information I have, it seems like a crazy reason to exile somebody. India, what did you think about learning his past and as this Kalava-based incident as the reason for his exile? I mean, I agree. It's dumb. It's, I don't really, it, it, uh, I'm so over the random little stories that are like meaningful, but not. Um, so I didn't really think anything of it. I'm, I'm kind of confused as to what their little purpose is. I know you guys love them and their little bromance, but I... There's just so many of them. This one really doesn't stick out to me. And it's also not extremely interesting to me. So where I did appreciate and, and like the conversation about change and la-di-da, um, it wasn't necessarily like impactful at all to my reading experience. Hmm. AJ, what did you make of this section? And why don't you put the issue to bed once and for all? Can people change? Three, two, one. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, no, I really loved this section. Uh, I had to read over on Rack's like soliloquies a couple times just because there it was so so many words and so dense and I was like I don't know what is going on because I was like surely he wasn't exiled for making a painting but that sure is what happened um, yep. and yep. then uh, I so 
Onrak also says when he made the painting in the cave, he felt someone come and then... Okay, cool. He, he, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we, oh, we can make a we can make a trip to the bone zone. Sure. Well, no, that's what I have. What, did did owner? They got him. He felt someone come, baby. Did Onrak and Kalava make love? Yeah, they fucked. They definitely did, right? Okay. In my notes, I wrote Onrak and Kalava boned. Haha. Yes. That's how he felt someone come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, but he doesn't even he doesn't even know that it was her. Uh, well, because before yeah. he's like, oh, I wonder if Kalava ever went and saw my painting. And then like a next page, he's like, yeah, then somebody came and we had sex. I was like, oh, I mean, OK, um, uh, I really love the end of that. We, we, re- I, we were really serious earlier. It's a very serious show. We make. I, I really love the end of that chapter um, after Onrak says all his stuff and, and then Trell kind of chimes in with some thought, thoughts and then um, says they suspect you will join the renegades, don't they? And then uh, Troll asks Onrak if he will. And Onrak just answers, only if you do, Troll Sengar. And I just, I love them so much and I want them to kiss. That, that's where I'm I, at, I think. I, kind of, I like where this story's going. <laughs> I want to come back real quick. I forgot to mention, I thought that, like, the Talane Mass are so interesting. And they have such this tragic history, right? I feel like nowhere else has it been just so laying out than the idea of Onrak, like, looking at this desert and seeing in his mind's eye, like, a full ocean yeah. and, you know, these and these seagulls and extinct birds. And, and it's just, like, the, like, that really put it into perspective to me, like, the vastness of time that they have existed. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard to think about being alive for that long yeah. and seeing everything around you change that way. So there's also a short thing that Tislios are going to find Akari and Absalom and Cutter are, are going off to somewhere. Um, the podcast is running along, so I just wanted to, you know, nod towards those storylines. But before we move on, India, we uh, Pearl and Lestari Yale uh, play detectives once more, and they track these pats of rats, and they we kind of they encounter the remnants of the divers grilling and when uh Felison and Bowden were all attacked by the rats in this whole scene and it's second time in this section that we're kind of flashing back or so to speak or we're encountering what happened in Deadhouse Gates again and in the end they are they're hot on the trail of Felison. So do you think uh what did you make of the section and do you think they're going to end up finding her? I loved it. See, I love Pearl and the Star. They are the funniest little duo ever. And I thoroughly enjoy all of their communication. Um, yes. So I tend to pay better attention to their parts. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was really cool. I really, 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 really liked them finding. And you know what else though? I will say this, sorry, quick side thing. The other characters that are like older to I mass, they, Steve gives them such intense and long and confusing dialogue. And it's just like, I, I just, I can't. But with them, Lestara and Pearl, it's just quick little quips here and there. They're just... Trying to be flirty and ornery mm-hmm. with each other. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's delightful. It's a, it's a great read. Um, so I really, really liked, though, finding the, um, that old little circle spot where everyone died. And yeah. that was, I just, I, I liked to see it from their eyes as like, what the hell happened here? Mm. Um, and I'm excited. I do think they're going to, I don't know if they're going to find Felison actually. I will, I will obviously find her. I don't know how they'll find her because she's how, like, I don't know if they can just like roll up into her space like that. 
but I think they're definitely they're definitely going to be the first ones to touch down and I don't know what they're going to do if they do find her because it's not like she's going to be like oh yeah let's go home haha <laughs> um yeah but yeah I really liked that part it was a good it was a good little treat to read yeah well let's uh, AJ do you have anything to add I was going to keep things moving yeah I would just at the very end of this chapter um we're with the Tis of the Ocean and they're like yeah we have to go find our good friend Icarium and I'm like what the fuck has not what the fuck hasn't this fool done like yeah. he knows everyone he everyone knows him by name and like uh, just like what the fuck mm-hmm. okay, okay. <laughs> thank thank you let's move on to chapter seven <laughs> fuck fucking i can't, i'm just so man it's almost i know the- dude i know chapter 17 carsa forges his flint sword invested with talon it will not break he speaks with Sybil about struggles, godhood, and a third path of worshipping imperfection. Sybil tries to tell him more about the crippled god, but he cuts her in half and demands the seven leave the grove. He takes some of her remains and leaves. Troll and Onrak, swept briefly aside by Karsa, enter the cave. Onrak uses some of the Talani mass remains to heal himself. Karsa enters the Jagodan and hunts. He then finds a jagged cynic, and they speak of tyrants of the past, the forkle of sail, and that cynic will help Karsa find a horse. They travel together to a jagat within a tree named Furlus. Impaled there, she grows heartwood, and has often given it to Icaria. Horses come to her call, and Karsa picks a stallion and names it Havoc. Karsa tells them they will witness. After Karsa has left, Cynic speaks with Furlasil about the Barbarian, the disguised Azaz house underneath them, and their past with the Talani Mass. Together they send six nearby Talani Mass, saying that they aren't as foolish as they seem. So in this chapter, uh, you know, we briefly see Trollin on Rack. It's worth mentioning Onrak kind of uses some bones and fixes himself up a bit. You know, he's looking tight yeah, and clean. Pretty cool, pretty you know? cool. But mostly the chapter is about Karsa, who finishes his sword, uh, cuts Sibal in half, and then meets these two jaggets. One of them's a tree. The tree gets him a horse. Kind of classic stuff. So what did you make all this stuff? And, uh, you know, you, uh, wh- wh- where are you at with Karsa right now? Uh, I am at the spot where I am so afraid. I'm so afraid because I love this good, well, not good. I love this mm, becoming better guy uh, and and the things he is doing and the, the, the growth he is making. And I'm just afraid that it's all going to come to him getting, you know, fucking dead. I, it's, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. I really want this. Like, if he was the main character of this story and I had assurances that he would not die... I would be like, let's go all aboard the Carson train. Um, mm. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, yeah. But what did you make? So what did you make him of here of encountering with Sibyl Moore? And they have a long conversation about gods. And he's really confronting these Tablor, uh, the, what, what were once the Tablor gods. I, I think it's one of the greatest conversations I've ever read is them just is is him being like, it is not being worshipped. That makes you a god. It is listening to your followers and like trying to help them, you know, and I was like, that's a very interesting definition of a god and probably comes from someone like him who worshiped gods who did nothing for him and and growing resentful of that it was just it was really fascinating 
Yeah, I really disagree with Karsa's characterization of what a god is. I mean, I'm not saying Sybil and them are like great gods. I just don't think. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't e- think that's what spirituality is about. I wouldn't life. say either of them's right. It's just it, it's very interesting for him. He has a very practical view. He has a view that almost makes me think that he is going to decide to become the Tablor god. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I could easily mm. see him coming back and being like, yo, what's up? Our seven gods are false. You have one god, and his name is Karsa. Like, I <laughs> yeah. easily could see him doing that. Witness. India, what did you make of, uh, where are you at with Karsa? And then what did you make of him encountering the these two jagged, one of them a tree woman? Um, I like Karsa. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what the hell he's doing. Um, I loved the tree woman. I feel so bad for the tree woman. Sad story. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Sad, mm-hmm. sad tale. And I'm glad he got his little horse, though. Don't know where he's taking it. Don't know why he wanted it. That horse scene was my everything. Spent a whole lot of time leaving the entire rebellion to come get this horse. That horse was, in- everything about it was incredible. <laughs> that whole scene. It's just, honestly, at this point, there are so many things going on that just don't make sense. It's like, how, how do you even truly form an opinion. Cars is cool. Cars has been uh, doing some interesting shit, but for what? These are my <laughs> questions. Yeah, I, I can feel you. I, I agree that we are in some ways, I feel we're off. We're out at sea, but I actually think out of this book, the Carsa stuff, along with the Chal and Onrak stuff, most work for me, and a lot of the other stuff kind of leaves me in the cold, but the Carsa stuff on the Jagodon is so fun, so I'm just here for it. Same. You know? I need answers, though, PB. I need answers. Um, AJ, where are you on this final chapter? And uh, where are you with Carsa Orlong? Uh, well, the final chapter, you know, I love Troll and Onrak. That part was great. 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> nothing really happened. I love when characters just bump into each oh, other. Oh, it's like, so yeah, cool. I love, yes, I love that. That is when the POV switches are the best because it's like Carsa saw these two figures and knocked them down said get out of my way and then immediately starts back is like ah Onrak and Troll just got knocked down and here they are standing <laughs> up I was like oh okay cool yeah, yeah um no but I am really enjoying Carsa's journey I love his denial of the crippled god um hell yeah and, and that felt really good <laughs> and then uh I like when he meets uh Phil 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 I can't, I can't, I can't find it right now. Um, Phil fear, fearless. Is it fearless? P H Y R L I S fearless. What? It's the, it's actually pronounced Paninian. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, I was a little confused when he first met, but then I realized that Aramala had freed him from the Warren, right? I think is what happened. Pete. Honestly, it's so late. I'm just going to agree with you. And then someone. <laughs> OK, because it was because uh, that someone was that was how just. that was how the, the fearless knew that Carson was on his way is because Aramala told him. So I just assumed that he had. I don't know. Anyway, uh, love the horse stuff. It's great. I love that. They're like, yeah, you are. You are blood oil. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, That'll come up again. Yeah. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Uh, just that whole part with Fearless is so, so funny because it's just like another like kind of Iscarol Puss type character where he just like keeps talking. Uh, and it's like Karsa is again with uh, Torvald Nam where he just like won't shut up. You mean uh, Sinig? Sinig is the is the talker, really, right? Or am I mistaken? Oh, yes. Sorry. Sorry. No. Oh, yes, you're right. Sorry. Sinigig is the is the talker. Fearless is the tree. 
my bad. I've been yeah. wrong this whole time. Yeah, very good. Very good stuff. Classic mm-hmm. Carsa stuff. Uh, and he gets the horse. Very good. And then... Uh, I also yeah. like when they speak about jaggets that helped fight jagged tyrants, you know? And I mm-hmm. enjoyed reading about, I don't know, the split in that uh, culture in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I also like how at the end of this chapter, we figure out that trees can eat meat. Of course. It's a fun little tidbit Classic. in this world. <laughs> but, but no, I like it. I like Carsa. I'm having a great time. All right. That's going to put a button on this uh, pretty big episode. I got no clue how long it ran, but thank you for sticking with us. Um, we really cover the entirety of book three, which is very exciting as we move towards the end of House of Chains. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing where I think, uh, where my co-host story is going. But of course, I just wanted to say you can always tweet at the show or send us an email at 10 Very Big Books. We uh, love hearing from people. and uh... So, um, Josh, we're leading into the finale of the book. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were joking mm-hmm. before about seeing everything, you know, convergences and all that. But, um, you know, wh- wh- where do you think the story's headed now that we're kind of uh, we're, we're entering the final act? <sighs> I mean, I think that the conflict between these two armies is going to be nearly non-existent. I, I think it's I think like the, the, the decisive blows will be struck without whole armies hitting each other. Um, personally, uh, I just, but it's, it's tough beyond that. I don't know. I don't understand if all the Haborg stuff is important for this book or for three books from now, you know, I don't know where Cutter and, uh, Absla are going. It's really tough to say. I think I'm most excited for the meetup and reveal of whatever the, 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 the thing is with Kalam and Fiddler. I'm very excited to see how that plays out, but I, I don't know. I guess my, yeah. AJ, where do you think the story's headed? Uh, I think that uh, Lestara, Pearl, Crocus, and Absalar are all going to meet up, and then Cotillion's going to show up uh, as their Nick Fury uh, and be like, <laughs> all right, my Avengers, it's time to go uh, do whatever I want you to do, uh, because that's kind of what's going on right that's now. pretty good. Uh, with, with all of that. Uh, and I also think, uh, hopefully, Corbel Adam's going to die. Uh, fuck that dude but i feel like he's gonna like die and then it's gonna be a i can't remember his name right now it, it, he's it's gonna be a calor situation where like uh corporal adam's gonna die and the crippled god's gonna be like you're mine now thanks um <laughs> mm. Mm, i uh, can see that but mm. i also think that carsa is gonna kill Icarium just because i don't know oh there's I think no that's no way Icarium dies in this I don't book. Know, man he's got that big old sword now okay india from downtown Calling the shot, the hottest prediction yet, going into the ending of the book. Here we go. How's it end? Three, two, one. The crippled god is going <laughs> to destroy the planet. All right. Okay. It's a big, it's a big prediction, and I love it. That's what we call a moonshot. Yeah. You know, straight exactly. down. Exactly. Get we, got, we got six more books on other planets because this one gets. Fucking yeah. The rest of the books take Who place on the Jade Statue uh, spaceships. Guys, the next book is The Crippled God, you know? Shit's going to go down. What? The Crippled God's the last book? Yeah, the next book is not The Crippled God. So next week on the show, we'll, we'll be reading the first few chapters of book four, House of Chains. And it opens with this. You have barred the doors, caged the windows, every portal sealed to the outside world. And now you find what you feared the most. There are killers, and they are inside the house. What the fuck? 
Ooh. Which one is that from? That's disturbing. I'm looking forward that's to it. That's from the yeah, next chapter. Which chapter is that one from, bud? That's, for, that's the epigraph to book four. Oh. And I just wanted to uh, thank Rick from Twitter for suggesting to end the show that way. So, Thanks, Rick. Goodbye, Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rick. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. But I would like to take a second to talk about something that is affecting a good friend of mine uh, and a contributor to the show. A couple weeks ago, my friend Jake, you know him as Amaranthan, whose music we use for the scoring of the show, uh, and his family lost their home in a fire. Uh, Everybody is okay, but they have really lost everything. Uh, There's a link to a GoFundMe that's been set up in their name in the show notes, and it would really mean the world uh, if you could donate even a small amount to them rebuilding their lives, uh, if you're able. Uh, If you donate, please send us proof of donation to our email, 10verybigbooks at gmail.com, because we will be donation matching up to $200 using money uh, that we have received from our generous Patreon patrons. Uh, Anything you can give would be amazing, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, of course, you can always tweet us your thoughts and feelings about the show at 10 Very Big Books. You can also email us 10VeryBigBooks at gmail.com. You can also join our Discord by heading to bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in the show notes. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gezerick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gezerick for tweets about his friend, Kevin. Uh, and of course, the wonderful music in today's episode, like I said, is by the one and only uh, Amaranthan or Jake. Uh, from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on bandcamp.com. Uh, links to their pages will be in the show notes, and 10 Very Big Books will be back in two weeks on September 11th, talking about House of Chains chapters 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. We'll talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening.